So let me, uh, let me introduce you to our church if, if you don't know, if, you've, if this is your first time here. By the way, if this is your first time here, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Um, who are we? Well, we believe that there's three things that we see all throughout Scripture. And this is sort of like the story. These are the major plot points of Scripture. Number one, that we believe that there's hope beyond our brokenness. So all of us have Chantel's story. We're lost, and now we're found. That's our story. So there's no pretending here. Um, our, our goal is for us to be honest, thoroughly honest. Now, that means that, that we're honest with where we are, but we're also honest that God has something more for us. We don't stay in the grave. We walk out of it. Amen? Amen. And you're allowed a runway. You're allowed time. You're allowed space to figure that out, to learn, to grow, to walk, to practice that. Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And he's alive. He is risen? He is risen. Amen. Jesus is alive right now, and we're called to trust him. That means to be honest with him. That means to, to work with mic issues. That means to be thoughtful and to connect with him. We're not giving you a system or a philosophy. We're giving you, we're introducing you to a person and his name is Jesus. And so to be honest with him and to connect with him, that's, that's what it means to follow him. And finally, like Paul was saying, is that you and I are invited to bring restoration. You and I are invited to, to make a difference in our community. And so Trinity is going to take a bucket full of change. I'm so proud of you. And Trinity and Rob and Lonnie are going to give that away, and they're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And they're going to give that to them, and they're going to say, you are loved. And there's ways that you can do that, it, both within the context of our church, but without, uh, beyond that as well. And that's what it means to, to be a child of God. And so each one of these things, uh, the hope that we have, the, the life of trust that we're engaging in with God, and our brokenness, each one of those things has a choice. And so here's the choices. Let's read this together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. He's risen. He's risen. Amen. Today is Easter. Today we celebrate. Today we dance. Today we sing. Today we we shout for joy because the power of fear is destroyed. The power of sin is obliterated. obliterated. Our shame is erased. Death is defeated. Our sins are forgiven. So before we do anything else, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you're here this morning. And we invite you, Jesus, to be in our midst to, to speak to us through the power of your word. And we bind up and silence anything opposed to Jesus that would be seeking to distract us or to, or to uh, shame us or to, or to put us asleep. God, awaken our spirits this morning. We give you permission to do work on our hearts. And all God's faithful people said. Amen. Easter is a celebration. Our future is no longer the, the horror of us trying to keep it all together and pretend that everything is okay. 
Easter is a celebration that our past is no longer this minefield of places where we feel guilty and ashamed. Easter is the promise that that since death and sin is defeated, that means that the strain that we have in our relationships can be healed. The resentments can be let go of, that, that reconciliation can happen. Death is defeated today. And, and on top of that, it's more. Our Heavenly Father has adopted us into His family. The papers are signed, y'all. Like every stain of our failure, every scar of how we've been betrayed, every moment that we've been hurt by someone and that we've felt worthless, today those moments are washed away. They're gone. You're no longer defined by your mistakes. You're no longer defined by the ways that people have hurt you. You're no longer defined by the endless grind of trying to be perfect and work and work and work to make sure everything all happens the way it should. You're no longer defined by your performance or how well you do or what's on your report card. You are defined by your heavenly father. He's adopted you into his family and he says, you're mine now. I belong to you and you belong to me. And we have a brand new name as God's child. You're beloved, you're worthy, chosen, forgiven, enough. Y'all, we've won the cosmic lottery. <laughs> Amen? Look, all the riches of heaven are waiting for us. <clears throat> all the love and faithfulness and power of God is now working on our behalf. Did you know that God right now is scheming how to bless you? He's got plans lined up for how to renew you and restore you and to make all things new in your life. Because right now in you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a new life is present. It's a life that you did not create. It's God's life in you. Right now you have that is starting to understand the truth about who you are and what God has done for you. Right now you have a new heart and, and that heart wants different things. You used to eat at the dumpster of death no more. Now you're learning how to eat and desire this new banquet at God's table. God has an amazing future for you. A life of purpose and hope and joy right now. Why? Why is everything that I just said true? It's today. It's called resurrection resurrection, not rehabilitation, <laughs> not restoration, not clear resuscitation, right? This last week, <clears throat> I, I cried when I saw Notre Dame, Notre Dame on fire, right? My mom and I were talking, this is one of the few most beautiful places that we've actually been to. Right? And here's this place, and it's on fire. And you know what they're going to do? <clears throat> they're going to they're gonna resuscitate it. Some modern architect will put a glass roof on it and this, that, and the other thing. They're going to restore it. They're going to revive it. Right? But our problem isn't that we've had the roof burned off of our life. 
Our problem isn't that we have some smoke damage. Our problem is that we're dead. Apart from God, we're dead. We need resurrection. Read this with me. Resurrection is when someone who is thoroughly dead, wait, do, do this. Don't do this. Do this. Read it with me again. Resurrection becomes thoroughly alive because a brand new life has been created out of nothing within them. Amen? So the significance and the meaning of resurrection, you're going to find when you stay, when you remain, when you abide, when you camp out with Jesus at the cross and in the resurrection, you're going to learn the significance of how the two events are so closely linked together. And that's today's story. So let me give you some context, and we're going to read just a couple of verses in John chapter 20 together. When Jesus celebrated the Passover with his friends, that's that wonderful Seder meal with the cup and the bread, if you're following along on your bingo card. He told each of them, remain with me, stay with me, abide with me. You're like a vine, I'm like a branch, stay connected to me. Don't leave, don't run. Your life is found with me, in me. And he told them numerous times leading up to this night and then also afterwards, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed on a cross. But then after three days, I'm going to rise again. And all of them were like, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. So then they get done with their meal, right? And they walk out of the city and through the valley of Kidron and up the hill to the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, pray with me. And the disciples who were asked to remain and abide and stay and camp out with Jesus, what do they do? They fall asleep. And then like two hours later, Jesus is asking them again and again and again, remain with me, abide with me, stay with me. And, and, then, and then people show up. This mob shows up to arrest Jesus. And the followers of Jesus who are there no longer follow Jesus, they run the other way. Every single one of them ran for their lives. Judas betrayed him. Peter, who told Jesus, the night, I mean, like three hours earlier, I'll never betray you. I'll die before I betray you. What did Jesus, Peter do three times that night? He betrayed him. So that night, Jesus was arrested. The Praetorian Guard, they beat him up all night long. None of his friends stayed. And then the next morning, he was unjustly tried and condemned in the court. And all of his friends, all of the guys, none of them stayed. None of them remained. None of them stood by Jesus. And there Jesus is then condemned to die. And he was nailed to a cross. And he died on the cross. And he really did die. If you don't believe me, take me, your pastor, Beat me up for eight hours all night. Whip me with a cat of nine tails. Lots of blood there. Hammer a crown of thorns into my head. Make me carry a 200-pound wooden beam 
about half a mile, nail me to a cross, leave me there for six hours, pierce my side with a spear, put me in a tomb for three days, and then see if I show up for church on Sunday. And when I don't, it's because I'm dead. Jesus really did thoroughly die. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They're freaking out, right? Their leader was just hunted down, unjustly condemned, crucified. They're, they got their cell phones off. They don't want the NSA tracking their locations, right? They're, they have un, they're in undisclosed locations. They're in their backup, backup, backup plan, right? They got their go bags with them. And they're all having this panic attack. And Peter was the only one carrying Xanax, but he's not there. And they're freaking out. And they don't know what's going on. And their whole world has ended because Jesus has died. And that's where John chapter 20 starts. Are you ready? Here we go. John chapter 20, verse 1. Read with me. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, now Mary's not alone. She's got Mary, Jesus' mom, and then another uh, woman there. And, and, but the gospel is on John zooms in on just Mary's experience, okay? What do the women see? They see that the tomb is open. By the way, that's not normal. Um, and the, the, the idea is, is that someone must have like rolled that massive stone away and shoot off the Roman guards because just dead people don't have a habit of moving a giant rock out of the way just on their own. Verse 2. So... She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, who's writing this story, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the, and she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Mary thinks that Jesus has been stolen. And Mary runs to where all of the disciples are hiding. Isn't that ironic that all of the Jesus followers, all the men are hiding and only the woman has the courage to go out? and actually prepare Jesus' body for a funeral. Ladies, I love you. The vast majority of men have been saved because they followed a beautiful woman to church. Thank you. That's why I love Jesus. I'm not kidding. So Mary tells Peter and John, and Peter and John don't want her. They don't. Wander, they don't saunter, they don't walk, they sprint. They sprint to the tomb. And John, who's in high school at the time, he gets there first, right? Because he's young and spry. And, you know, Peter's in his mid-30s. And, and John is kind of freaked out. He doesn't walk into the tomb. And Peter, wheezing, shows up. <gasps> Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went whoa, straight into the tomb. And what did he see? He saw strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place. And literally, the Greek says that it was, it was neatly folded. It was neatly folded, separated from the linen. Just well, like when people steal bodies, just an assumption here, just an assumption. You don't take the time to kind of fold up things and just kind of gently place them and and then carry the body that's fully in rigor mortis, naked, right, out the tomb. That, that doesn't make sense, does it? Right? 
But Mary thinks that that's what happened, and she's crying, and she's crying, and she's crying. But John, he sees this high schooler, sees everything folded up, and he goes, you know what? That's the moment I first believed. Verse 8, read this with me. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. God's going to give you evidence. He's going to give you the evidence that you need to trust him. Always, always. Trusting Jesus isn't just sort of trusting him with no evidence. God is always going to give you the evidence that you need to trust him. There's no such thing as blind faith. Not at all. No, 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 no. You're, everybody here in this story is going to get the evidence that they need to trust Jesus. So Peter and John, they, they're, they're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and Peter, he doesn't know yet. But John, he's like, I think this is it. I think this is it. And of course, the 30-year-old is telling the high schooler, ah, I don't know. But they're walking back. But what does Mary do? Verse 11, read this with me. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Mary stood. I wish the English word conveyed the meaning better. It's the pluperfect tense. And I know that you know what that means, just but for all the kids here. Um, the pluperfect tense. It means this, that Mary stayed and stayed and stayed. That she stood and kept on studying. <laughs> Standing? Standing? Standing. She remained. She abided. She camped out. At this point in the story, Mary Magdalene is the only gospel, is the only disciple that is still remaining and abiding with Jesus. And she's crying because her Savior is dead. And when Mary looked into the tomb, what did she see? Read with me. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. So there's this tomb and one angel's here and one angel's here. And the king of kings who'd been crucified between two thieves had actually been laid to rest between two angels. When Mary looked at the two angels, she, didn't, she wasn't blown away by the fact that they were two angels. They actually kind of looked like normal people to her. And then they asked her a very odd question. They said this, Woman, why are you crying? Now, this word woman is not like woman, right? It's not that. It's, it's actually a term of endearment. It kind of means like sweetheart. They say, sweetheart, why are you crying? She's like, have you not been around? Like someone, they, I don't know who, but they, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. Why would anybody steal Jesus? He's dead. Doesn't make any sense. And this is how we feel when we lose someone that we love. We cry. We weep. I was having coffee with a friend this week and we both of us were at Tribe Coffee, tears in our eyes, talking about what it's like to feel totally helpless. When you can't help and the person that you love, 
you see someone in your life that's in pain and, and you have no control over what's going to happen, it's agonizing. You cry. And as Mary is standing at the entrance of the tomb and she's looking at these two guys that are having asking her strange and obviously obtuse questions, question, she sees a shadow behind her because the tomb is backlit and the hairs on the back of her neck stand up because someone is standing behind her. And she turns around. Read with me, 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now, this is not uncommon. Most, a lot of people saw Jesus right after the resurrection and they had no idea that it was Jesus. I don't know if it was just psychology, like, well, that guy's dead. You must be somebody else. Or if it really was their eyes were blinded for some reason. Or they didn't recognize him. Jesus has a resurrected body, so it's a little bit different. Um, we don't know why. Maybe Jesus was just backlit. We don't know. Um, but Jesus asks Mary the exact same question. Sweetheart, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Are, Mary's like, what kind of employees run this cemetery? <laughs> like I go to hang out, like prepare Jesus' body, and there's two random guys sitting where he's laid. And, like they're turning over hotel room, folding the grave clothes. Like where's the body, dudes? And then there's some other guy comes up and says, why are you crying, lady? Why do you think I'm crying? I'm in a cemetery. I'm looking for somebody I love. And I love this verse 15. This is funny. Ready? Thinking he was the gardener. Can you imagine? What are you here to mow and blow the tomb? What's going on? Like, Jesus got a weed whacker? And Mary, incensed, asks him this question. Look, if you've carried away Jesus, tell me where you put him. What's going on in Mary's mind? This is like, you know, the gardener comes and says, man, this tomb's really dirty. I'm just going to move this way, and I'll just carry this guy, and put him behind the hedges, and then... Like, what? What? She thinks, oh, Jesus is the gardener. So good. <laughs> and then Jesus changes Mary's world, and he changes your world. He changes the world with one word. Jesus said to her, Mary. And because every sheep knows the voice of their shepherd, Mary's heart and mind and eyes became alive. And she looked at Jesus and recognized him. And says, Rabboni. And she wrapped him up and gave him a bear hug. Jesus calls her by name, changes her life. And Jesus calls you by name today. And today you can embrace our risen Savior. See, what Mary realized then and what we celebrate today is this, that Jesus chose to go through the cross for a purpose. Like he knows that we're stuck in our sin. He knows that we can't pay or earn or behave our way out of the mess that we've made. He knows that we can't fix ourselves. 
And so Jesus does what we could never do. He dies. And he dies on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, what he does, it's, it's a brilliant plan. He, he holds on to sin and he holds on to death so that when he dies, the power of sin and death die too. He swallows up death so that it no longer has the eternal power to separate you from your God. And then when Jesus rises, because he is risen. Go, oh, come on, he is risen. You know what that means? It means he won. It means he won. It means the victory is his. It means that he's beaten death. He's beaten sin. Everything that would separate you from your heavenly father, it's destroyed. It's gone. Today you have brand new life. You have his life. All your sins are forgiven. Amen. You want his resurrection life? You can have it. You'd be like Mary. Abide with him. Stay with him. Stand with him. Camp out with him. Embrace him. Would you like to do that today? Yes. See, every two for the, every year, for 2,000 years, this group of ragtag, bobtailed knuckleheads get together on a spring morning and we say this. Look, I... I can't create this new life within me. I don't know what happened. But the moment I invited Jesus into my life, some, a new life was created within me. It, I didn't do it. It's, God, it's God's work in me. Like Chantel, we, we all said, I'm done. I'm done trying to look in every other place for life. I, I can't do it anymore. And that's where Mary was at. She's trying, 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 trying. And the moment Jesus speaks her name, that's when life erupts within her. So would you be willing to embrace Jesus today? Now maybe this is, maybe this is your first day. Maybe this is your Easter day. Maybe this is your resurrection day. You've never done this before. Maybe this is, you've been away for a long time. You've know Jesus, you love him, but you've been trying very hard to make your life better apart from him. And maybe this is the day where you go, okay, I'm back. Maybe, maybe you've been abiding and staying with Jesus for a long time, and, and yet there's some area of your life where you're like, God, I need, I need your resurrection life there. Maybe you need a little bit of my son's joy <laughs> bouncing in his wheelchair. Amen. So no matter where you are, would you, would you let me pray on your behalf right now? Would you pray with me? Sure. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your son. Jesus, thank you for staying on the cross until you died so that our death and our sin might die with you, that we would be forgiven and adopted and totally separated from the eternal consequences of our failures.
Thank you that when you rose again, you did so for us, for me. And Jesus, I've been trying to get life everywhere else but you, and it's not working. Forgive me. I'm done. My eyes are just filled with tears. It's exhausting. And today you call my name. So now I turn to you and I embrace you. I say yes to you, Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Give me new life, your life. Change my mind and my spirit. Release my resentments and my anger. Help me be done with the addictions that I can't seem to be free of. I trust you to do this work, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless and seal these good things in every all these precious saints who are here today. Bless them. Honor them. Seal this work in their hearts. And all God's beloved saints said, Amen. Children of God, sons and daughters of the King, would you stand for the benedictions? We're so excited. We have a all, I mean, we have just a, a fellowship all just filled with goodies. We got, we got puppies and shots of espresso in there as well. We're so excited for you. Now receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord, Lord make, shine his countenance upon you. That's his affection for you and give you the peace that passes all understanding in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.